I just want to give a quick shout out to patrons who have signed up this past year while Fruit Bowl was on hiatus. Thanks to John P., Randall T., Bob G., Damon M., Joseph L., Stephen P., Tim L., and James M. While I haven't been posting public episodes this year, I have been sharing some exciting behind-the-scenes updates with my patrons as I develop the new podcast season, as well as a Fruit Bowl TV show and feature documentary. I've already shared the first three episodes of Season 5 with my patrons, and just the other day, I shared a private link to a video I made of a live Fruit Bowl event I've also been developing this past year. It's called Movie Musicals Made Me Gay, and it features yours truly talking about my queer coming of age, and I introduce fun clips from different movie musicals that I saw during my awkward coming of age years that helped me embrace my gay identity. Scenes from movies like A Chorus Line, Victor Victoria, Xanadu, Hair, and Rocky Horror Picture Show, just to name a few. I created this video version of the show as a tool to pitch the live event to different queer film festivals across the country, so I have no plans to post it publicly. But if you become a Fruit Bowl patron, you will have access to it, along with countless other private video excerpts from previous Fruit Bowl interviews, as well as advanced access to episodes and behind-the-scenes updates. Check out fruitbowlpodcast.com donate for links to our Patreon page and become a member to help us pay for things like transcripts, website maintenance, and editing assistance. And now, on with the show. My dad really was a presence of masculinity, but also just a really capricious private figure. To be a man, you just don't feel nothing. You don't say anything. I was so desperate to fit into my dad's expectations and fit into what he wanted from me. He said something like, are you a faggot? And I went to him and I was like, listen, you are never to use that word in my presence ever again. He goes, you know, Nathan, if you jerk off in the wrong way and leave it on a towel or the toilet, you can get your sister pregnant. My dad's thing, his shtick, was to take us on a week trip to Europe. During those long drives, we have the talk. And then he made a deal with me that he wouldn't ground me if I didn't tell. And I said, well, then you should keep that porn where it is. <laughs> and he did. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Five years ago, I started interviewing queer people about their coming of age and the different ways we discover our sexual identities. Since then, I've presented four seasons of Fruit Bowl episodes that feature just one queer person's sexual history. This season, I'm picking through the Fruit Bowl archives, searching hundreds of hours of past conversations about queer sex, and creating episodes that explore common themes and subjects from a diverse cross-section of queer people. My goal is to destigmatize and promote conversation about queer sex and, in the process, reveal the strength, resilience, and fierce individuality of queer people and, at the same time, discover what unites us. Origins, Volume 2. Fathers. 
Growing up in small town Kansas in the 70s and 80s, I was envious of other people's families and the trust they placed in their patriarchs. The neighbors' dads were little league coaches, the leaders of prayers, the final word in family debates, trusted voices of wisdom who guided their children through adolescence and prepared them for adulthood. It'll likely come as no surprise that, when I started collecting Fruit Bowl stories about fathers for this episode, they often fell short in the parenting department, especially when they found themselves in charge of children like us, who drew outside the lines of typical heteronormative behavior. I want to take this opportunity to state outright that I make no claims that Fruit Bowl is, in any way, a comprehensive study of queer coming of age that explores every possible permutation of the queer experience. I have no formal academic background or training in childhood development or sociology or sexual studies. There are no talking heads from universities or research institutes. I'm a documentary filmmaker specializing in oral histories, so I'm limited to the responses I get from the interviewees who agree to share their stories with me. This is why I've spent the last five years trying to get as many different queer people as I can to contribute to football. But I realize that my interviewee sample could be even more diverse than it already is. I'm also not making a documentary exclusively about the parents of queer people. My focus is narrowed to first-person stories about coming-of-age experiences, and specifically, matters of sex, so many interviewees only mention their parents briefly. Many of them had perfectly decent relationships with their parents. And I suspect most parents fall short when it comes to answering questions about sex to their kids, queer or straight. If I were making a doc exclusively about moms and dads of queer people, I would make a more serious effort to find queer people with parents who were supportive and encouraging to their queer children from the very beginning. Parents who provided us unconditional, steadfast love from day one. It just so happens that in most of the Fruit Bowl interview clips you'll hear in this episode, the fathers are often just supporting players in the development of their children. Sometimes they're completely absent. Some are openly hostile, abrasive, and just plain wrong when it comes to issues of sex, queerness, and parenting. But some of them came closer than others to succeeding just a little bit. I sincerely hope this is not a bummer to listen to. My hope is that presenting these stories will inspire reflection of your own experiences and we can find some compassion for ourselves and our own fathers. And maybe we can agree that the perfect father, who was the perfect role model, who was always supportive and said the right thing at the right time, who never made any mistakes, is likely a myth that belongs to Bible stories, classic TV sitcoms, and Hollywood fiction. So my name is Tyler, and I am 30, and I am from Columbia, Missouri. So I first found out about sex, I guess, through, like, hearing my parents fooling around. And that was kind of, it wasn't embarrassing, but it was kind of one of those, like, oh, my parents are fooling around. And then when they divorced, um, then it was just the new 
flavor of the week for my dad. So it'd be like, oh, you're my new mommy. What are you here to do? Oh, you're here to make me breakfast and fuck him. Get it. Cool. <laughs> but my dad got really clever about putting his um, trunk. He had a big um, army trunk. He would put it in front of the door so I couldn't get in, so I couldn't peek in because I was curious. I was a little kid and I was like, I gotta go see what's going on. They're making a lot of noise. And then he would love to tell me about it once they were gone. And this was like at like five and six. Like I was learning about sex then. It wasn't a question of like, was I confused about what was going on? It was a question of what he was doing, how well he was having fun, um, what he was doing with that individual or that lady, and pretty much that. And I was like, is this not my new mom? And she's sticking around, all these questions would come up. And I'm just like, I don't get it, but I just, hey, he enjoyed it and that's what I kind of learned. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how I first found out about sex. Maybe not the way that I would interpret or what I was going to be doing, but just this is sex. This is two adults getting together and making nasty. My name's Deontay. I'm 34 years old. I graduated in 2004. My grandfather and my father are great men, but they never showed emotion. I knew that I was loved, but there was no emotion in that space. To be a man, you just don't feel nothing. You don't say anything. That's for women. That's for, that's for your mom. That's for your grandma. I'm going to teach you how to be a man, and that's it. My name is Shavit, and I'm 31 years old. Um, I was born and raised and lived all my life till I was 22 on a small, um, it's called a moshav. It's in the south of Israel. It's a socialist agricultural community. Um, so there's my dad, who's a father figure for sure. Um, he's the American side of my family. That's why I can be here, <laughs> essentially. He's from Virginia. Um, he moved to Israel early 70s, met my mom, she's Israeli, born and raised, and they had my older brother, myself, and my younger sister. Me and my dad have a very intense relationship. We just finished like a 10-year no-talking moment. Um, yeah, I think his father was very good. He passed away a year before I was born, so I never got to meet my grandpa. But from what I hear, from what I know about him, he was just like this very stand-up person in the community, in the Jewish community, and uh, everywhere he went, he was just kind of this figure. And my dad wants that for himself. I think he falls short sometimes. But child bringing was definitely important to him, and he did a good job. We were all cared for, and I had a happy childhood. Things got rocky later on, but that's no one's fault necessarily. But yeah, it was important for him to, to bake us, right? Like that's his job as a parent, to have this finished product at 18. <laughs> that's acceptable for the world. I'm gonna hate myself for saying this. He's a Scorpio. <laughs> so sexuality is big in his world, which is totally also understandable. Like one of my earliest memories about sex is also him jerking off. I would never catch him or see it actively, but like at one point the computer room that we had eventually was locked and it was just him inside like smoking, drinking, jerking off. 
How are you sure that he was jerking off? Because I knew how to do the search history better than him, and I saw what websites he would go on to, and I would find his porn as well. Okay, so he had his own stash. <laughs> Absolutely. I found his porn. I found his passwords to websites later on when those became um, a bigger thing in my teen years. Um, yeah, I totally use his porn. If he did try to hide it, he did not do a good job. Oh my God, <laughs> the talk. Yeah, my dad is insane in the good and bad. Um, so in Judaism, when you're 13 years old, you have your bar mitzvah, which is the ritual of becoming a man from a child to a man. And my dad's thing, his shtick was to take us on a week trip to Europe. We went to Austria and Northern Italy for a week. He rents a car. And we just go from place to place. And during those long drives, we have the talk. So it was a week long talk about everything, everything. Like it wasn't just like hours of him droning and lecturing me between um, tourist sites in Northern Italy. Um, it was a conversation and I would ask questions and he would answer. Um, he obviously had his topics uh, that he wanted to cover. Uh, but no, it was a very honest, it was somewhat scientific based, like there was talk about pheromones and stuff like that, but it was also like a lot of his opinions that are very Southern United States baby boomer person. So tricky. He doesn't understand anal sex. Cause why? <laughs> Bisexual people are greedy. Gay is not okay because it doesn't make sense in nature. He was coming at it from like a very like, we procreate because that's how the human race survives and like it's enjoyable because why not? So gay sex to him was just like, anal babies don't make it the term, right? So <laughs> he was just like not okay with it. He somehow threw the Bible into that conversation. He's not a religious person, but sure, we pick and choose sometimes. We talked about transgender only because Dana International is a transgender woman who won the Eurovision for Israel in the late 90s. So that was a conversation. <laughs> but like he, he, he's so ignorant about that still to this day, I am 100% sure. Um, no, the conversation was very like penis, vagina, sex, how it works, what works. Um, how to be a good man, how to be a good person. It was, it was the sex talk plus. But no, there was also like a lot of like how to handle situations and being an adult and just conversations of not just sexuality that were kind of good stuff, but the, the, the ones are the ones I remember more. Um, and it ended in Rome. <laughs> and he was this close to buying me a prostitute, I think. But he got, and like we always shared rooms um, in hotels usually. Um, the last night in Rome, I had my own room with porn in the TV. <laughs> that was intentional. Yes. <laughs> did you indulge? Yes. What did you Absolutely. watch? Oh, straight porn. Straight, awful European porn. <laughs> it worked. It's 13. 
I came out to my mom. I was 16, and it was more of like, I think I'm bisexual, maybe? And my dad was, was more like, you know I'm gay, right? Yes, good. Goodbye. Mm. Um, but things kind of were not as good as they were when I was 13, yeah. by the time I was 18. Mm. Your, your relationship with him had shifted and... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a result of your being gay? It's so funny because it's not. And I don't think it was ever a problem because he's kind of fine with it ever since. He's definitely trying to overcompensate for um, past misdeeds, but my mom passed away when I was 17. She had cancer. And our family kind of broke apart when she passed away. Um, I, I was 17, very strong-willed and stubborn, and... Me and my dad would just butt heads about everything and everything and anything. I mean, he was obviously grieving himself and like kind of lost in the world as a man by himself now. I was obviously lost. Um, and we just couldn't help each other. And the way we lashed out at each other was obviously not great and not smart and not good for anyone. It just kind of free-falled from there. Um, still is, maybe, maybe we're finally on an uptick. It's a process, but it's a, it's a tense relationship. Like my cousin's wedding three years ago, I brought a male date. Um, and he was cool with it. And he took us out to dinner after and was like as polite as he could be. So like the gay was never a big issue. It's definitely because he also doesn't know half the stuff of what gay means. Yeah. <laughs> and probably thinks I'm a top. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he asked me once, how do I meet friends in New York? <laughs> like 95% like of my gay, or my friends are gay and they're people I've slept with, usually for the first time in a group setting back then. <laughs> it's just like, mm, work. I mean, I worked by myself for myself for my apartment, but sure. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, my name is Ty. I am 34. I graduated high school in June of 2002. I grew up in Connecticut, in sort of the northwest corner of the state. My mother and father divorced when I was seven. And uh, that was when my mom came out of the closet. I was actually raised uh, by lesbians, which made for, I think, mostly fairly easy coming out, which is really, really nice. Um, I, I feel very sort of blessed to have had that. I mean, it, sort of, it meant sort of in some ways crashing into a lot of the problems of coming out vicariously through my mother when she endured a lot of bigotry and uh, sort of ostracism and so on. But then sort of when it came around to my turn, it was not having to face that kind of difficulty with my own parents made things a lot easier. And my mom entered into a relationship with another woman maybe a year, maybe a little bit less than that after she came out. And yeah, this other woman lived with us. They, they are still together. They've been together now for doing the math a little bit over 25 years. My dad did remarry, yeah. I lived with my mother and my father rough, roughly 50-50. Uh, 
my dad was very injured, I think, by the by my mom coming out and by the divorce and so on. He was not homophobic, but uh, just to give you an idea of how of how weird some of that made things. Uh, when I told him I was gay, he said, uh, this is a victory for your mother. Wow. <laughs> I think I just sort of was like, okay, well, I guess that's that for that conversation. <laughs> and then went and did my homework or something. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was, you know, more or less on par for trying to have any kind of heart to heart stuff with him about stuff. So I think that he was very hurt. Uh, I, I don't think that that was entirely unjustified from his perspective, but I think he allowed that to make him kind of permanently a very angry person. And it was hard seeing someone that I remember being sort of joyful when I was very, when I was much younger, sort of become mostly resentful and, uh, and angry. Uh, my parents each separately had the talk with me at different moments. I would have been probably eight or nine, I think. And for whatever reason, I sort of felt like, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll let them each do it and they'll feel good about doing it. So I just, I can't remember who did it first, but I remember at some point I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll let you do it so you can sort of have this meaningful moment. But I secretly, I know, I know all of this already. <laughs> I feel like my dad's was the more memorable one in that he sort of really tried to find an awkward way to sort of backdoor the conversation to happening. We were like on a road trip somewhere and he uh, pointed to some like especially like garish cars like, oh, that's like a pimp mobile. Like, and, and I was like, well, what's a pimp? And then he was just like, well, and then so our, our, our version of the talk started off with a full expl explanation of what prostitution is, which is great. <laughs> my name's Jason. I'm 47 and I'm from Dallas, Texas. I know my parents didn't really do much of a burdens and bees uh, type <laughs> talk with me. We didn't have the internet growing up, so I had to rely on um, magazines. And I think the first introduction I had to what sex looked like was from some uh, adult magazines I found at home. My parents had converted the garage into their master bedroom, and so I got the real master bedroom. And uh, the medicine cabinet came out of the wall. And when I opened it up, I found that there was a treasure trove of other dirty magazines. It, even some hardcore stuff. No, no, nothing gay. Uh, just guys and girls. And who they belong to? <laughs> My dad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I found them, uh, I would block out the girls <laughs> with like pieces of paper so I could just look at the guys. <laughs> I never told him until uh, one time when I was a senior in high school. He was yelling at me about something I had done. Uh, I think I had had some friends over and we watched an R-rated movie. And uh, <laughs> he was very disappointed. And that's when I brought up the fact that he had hardcore porn. And then he made a deal with me that he wouldn't ground me if I didn't tell. And I said, well, then you should keep that porn where it is. <laughs> and he did. <laughs> so it was fine. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm Adam. I am 37. I graduated high school in 2000. I grew up in Barrie, Vermont. Barrie is actually very blue collar. It's always been an industrial town. It's like where a lot of granite comes from. Its roots are like in Italian sculpture workers and, and miners. If Vermont has a Flint, Michigan, Barrie's kind of that. Uh, it's still small. It's like growing up, it was less than 10,000 people, though. I should tell anyone listening that my father passed away this week and we buried him yesterday. So I, there might be a little bit of emotions in this interview and everything might come back to him. But my folks divorced when I was two and um, he, oh my God, I'm sorry. Um, and he, uh, they divorced, but he was still very much in our lives. And so I still grew up with a f kind of foggy parental unit that was not defined. And I knew they were divorced. I mean, they divorced when I was two. So I knew the word divorce as soon as I was able to talk and understand language. I knew that they weren't married. And his presence in and out of my life was, um, was capricious. It might be like a weekend. And then I remember sometimes I'd hope maybe it was a week. But I wouldn't know, and of course I had no control over it. But it was still felt like a parental unit in some way, even though my mom really was the one raising us and the one earning all the money for us, frankly. I'm the youngest of three. I grew up with two older sisters, and they're about 10 and 5 years older than me, respectively. So I grew up in, a, I, again, I was thinking about it leading into this interview, kind of a very feminine environment. This is very much the era of, like, everything's gay. Anything that's bad is gay. I'm like, that's so gay. This is so gay. But that was, like, a huge thing in my house, especially with my two older sisters who were, like, again, their, their live was very cliche high school, like, 80s movie. And everything was so gay. And so my experience of even what gay was was, like, negative but just, like, funny, like a goofy. It was something we would goof about. And... That just seemed to be like the one not really acceptable thing was being gay. My stepdad is like a construction worker, like a big beefy. He is like actually like the quintessential bear. <laughs> and um, he had said once he would disown a gay son before I came out. And I remember my mom also like, I remember we were watching Sopranos once. And I just remember there was gay characters and that like they would, she would hide her face when that when they would show the men in bed and i just remembered thinking all right well whatever i'm by then i'd had like a lot of sexual experiences with with other boys and i just thought all right well I, this is not gonna work i'm not coming out to these people my dad really was a presence of masculinity but also just a really capricious private figure um, we would go on fishing trips and all else. We would do very father-son type stuff. When I started visiting him and I was a little older, early teens, like very, still a kid, I remembered really looking forward to our fishing trips, but I would really look forward to having hours in the car with him because we would talk a lot. And it would be very much like me asking really intensely personal questions. I wish I could remember them, but I just remembered as a kid being like, whoa, we covered a lot of ground today, you know? And I think I was really curious about his sexual life 
to me, he had a very forbidden, a kind of forbidden secretive existence and a very like vivid past. And I just was curious about it. So I'd ask him all, any lingering question I had in my mind, I would probably ask him about it. And weirdly enough, my stepdad too, not my mom, I really wasn't, but like I would ask my stepdad questions too, because I felt like they were both different people and had like, it's, it's kind of weird, but I just gauged that they had very kind of different sexual interests and lives. After leaving my mom and before meeting my mom, I was very curious about both of those respectively. I think back on it, I'm like, it's so inappropriate. He moved to New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire, which is sort of like the Flint, Michigan of New Hampshire <laughs> is another kind of blue collar town. I just remember going there and I would see like panties under the bed. Not, not his, it's not that wild, but I just think that I don't think, but I just think I knew he had a secret life that was not ours. But still, I think, so he probably was dating throughout, but I just, they both remarried around the same time. He ended up having another son, so I have a half-brother. But even when they remarried and before that my half-brother was born and even when he was a baby, I still was kind of in and out. I would float back and forth. So un unique and unconventional. And uh, But, you know, we were all, even as they remarried, we all stayed a huge unit. So big kind of unconventional. Everyone was cool with each other, pretty much. I'm Paul. I am currently 61. I graduated high school in 1975. I grew up in the suburbs south of Chicago, specifically Olympia Fields and Park Forest. When I was growing up, it was on the edge of the cornfields. Um, so like literally at the end of our street, there was corn. Um, and then there was this beautiful kind of upscale uh, upper middle class development where a lot of uh, mostly Jews lived. So yeah, I think it was pretty liberal. Um, my family uh, is kind of bonkers, like many people's families. Jewish family, my father was pretty much not around. Um, I have very little memory of him. And when he was there, he was very uh, low-key, let's say. He didn't, he didn't volunteer a lot, except he had this really big voice, um, which we called the Marshall voice. His first name was Marshall. And I have the voice, um, and I won't use it here because it'll break the windows, um, that when he was angry, you could hear it for blocks. So, yeah, we just the voice. My parents got divorced when I was, I think, nine, eight, eight. And I started to see a lot more of him then because he had weekend custody. I officially came out in 1975, the day I moved out of my house into the dorms at college. I went and found a, I think it was called the Gay Community Organization, GCO, at Northern Illinois University. I came back to the dorm and I got on the payphone and I called my mom to tell her I was gay. And uh, her response, like a lot, of, a lot of kids' responses is, oh honey, I knew, it's okay, I love you, don't tell your father. And she kept repeating that, don't tell your father. And I didn't. And she did explicitly say he'll blame himself. My dad passed away when I was 22, I'm guessing about 22. So it was only a few years later that he died. When he died, I took that as a signal that I was now to be out of the closet to everyone. 
that the last person who I'd, I had made a bargain, I had agreed with my mom, I would never tell him. So now I'm out to everyone. And I've stuck to that ever since. There's been no hiding whatsoever. And I kind of regretted it, uh, regretted never telling him, you know, for whatever good regret is worth. Um, I, I like to think that he would have come around eventually. And my mother, before she died, we, we talked about this a lot. We talked about everything before she died. She said, oh, no, honey, he was different. He would not have, he would not have handled it well. So his loss. When my dad died, I was very, very, very deep in my coke at the time. So I was not available for any kind of authentic feeling. And I did not go to the funeral. I, I was not present. And I wasn't going to experience grief until I got off the drugs. And I did. <laughs> you know, years after he passed away, I got off the drugs. And a few weeks after being clean and sober, I was talking to my brother about my dad. And I just, I broke down and shocked, shocked that the grief had waited for me. And... Um, I learned that the grief waits. My name is Ade. I'm 41 years old. I graduated high school in 1997. How I first learned about the idea of sex was walking in on my my mother and father fucking on the washing machine when I was like five years old. So uh, we lived in this house when I was a kid and I remember going downstairs to the basement where the washing machine and dryer were and and walking in on them, banging on my like literally my dad's banging my mom on top of the dryer and I'm just like and they saw me and then my dad got really mad and yelled at me to go upstairs and I didn't really know at that time what I had seen but something in me that stirred something in me I was like hmm that was interesting what was happening there so that was sort of my first introduction to sex and as a kid you know with my little neighborhood friends we would as kids do fool around and you know you'd see movies and see things um on tv and see like people having sex in movies that you weren't supposed to watch as a kid and purple rain was one it wasn't like explicit or anything but you know you see, like, Prince and Apollonia doing their thing, you know, and as a kid, like, my father would not let me watch Purple Rain. But I had a babysitter that I would go to her house, and she had two teenage daughters, and they would watch Purple Rain. So I would watch it with them. And so, you know, that's kind of how I learned about sex was through, like, watching things that I shouldn't with, with like, my uncles or my cousins when my parents weren't paying attention, you know? And then fooling around with kids in the neighborhood. Like, we didn't know what was going on. We are just, like, pants down in the closet together, like, looking at each other, like, pretty much. That was before adolescence. That was, that was when I was, like, 8 to 12, you know? And, and it's just sort of like, you're just curiosity. 
trying to figure out what any of that means. My mother had this friend named Nancy. She had two daughters. You know, we used to have slumber parties all the time, and so there was one night where I was sleeping over at their house, and we were just, we were fooling around, you know, and in walks Nancy. I was never allowed to sleep over again. So this is the fucked up thing. My stepfather was like practically high-fiving me on that one. Cut to about two months later, there's this little boy named Ian that lives downstairs from the apartment that we lived in at the time. He and I got caught in like a maintenance closet because the little fucker ratted us out. His mom was looking for him and he's like, Mom, I'm in here! And I'm like, you know, pants down in the closet. Come on. Like, this is your idea, dumbass. Now I'm going to have to take the fall. But um, so that one, I got the crap beat out of me by my dad and my stepdad. And that was, that was an interesting sort of fucked up, very telling thing about their stance on sexuality. That was sort of a, a turning point for me. I think prior to that, I didn't really understand the ramifications of like what sexuality meant. And, and like, I knew that it wasn't okay in my father's eyes to be gay. Like we would see gay guys walking around the neighborhood and he'd be like, you don't want to be like those queers sort of thing, you know? And, and I would always think, well, they look nice. They look happy. But I did sort of change my behavior after that. Um, the next time I saw Ian, he tried to get me to fool around again. I was like, you stay the fuck away from me. Like, I got the wrath of hell because of you. Like, don't ever come near me again. I think I just sort of withdrew in that I didn't really explore that for a long time after that because I, I didn't want the fallout from it. When I first learned about sex actually was one time I happened to walk into my parents' bedroom and saw them having sex. And I remember as a kid, I just saw these two bodies, um, you know, doing things on the bed. And I was very confused by what I was seeing. So I went back to my bedroom and, and later on I asked my mom the next morning, um, what were you and dad doing last night? And her face went so red. Oh my God, it was hysterical. I do remember the first time I had sex, uh, my very first, I guess he was my very first boyfriend, Kevin. Um, I was 18. It would have probably been about 1989, roughly around that time period. Um, I think I was coming home for one of my first, va uh, first holidays from college, but I did know that I was gay. I figured that out in my head. I wasn't ready to tell anyone, but I knew it was in my head. and. I told my dad that I was working, um, and so I drove out to Santa Monica, and, uh, or West Hollywood, I think is where it was, and went to the gay youth group, and it's there that I met Kevin, but I spent the night at his place, so suddenly I had to explain to my dad where I was all night, because it wasn't normal for us to stay out all night. So I came home that next morning, and I called my dad, because he, he was already at work, and he's like, oh, okay, where were you? I said, well, Dad, um, I met someone. Oh, yeah. I met a girl. You did? Yeah. 
I had sex. Oh! And I basically, I took all the details about Kevin and turned him into Kathy <laughs> and told my dad this whole story. He was so proud. <laughs> I don't think he was as proud when he found out later on that Kathy was actually a Kevin. Because when I did come out to him, he did ask, well, what about Kathy? I'm like, well, Kathy is uh, not so much. So that's kind of how that whole thing went. My name is Steven, I'm 49, and I graduated high school in 1987. I grew up in New York City. Born in Brooklyn, lived in Brooklyn till I was about 11, and then we moved out to Rosedale, Queens, past JFK Airport. I lived out there, and then I went to high school in the Bronx. So my family's West Indian, my parents are from Trinidad. The West Indies are not known for a lot of um, inclusive ideas about <laughs> being gay. Uh, it's not quite as bad as like Jamaica, where they just like will straight up kill you. <laughs> uh, but Trinidad is a little more conservative. When we were in Brooklyn, the first 11 years of my life, we were in East Flatbush. There's a lot of West Indian people who, who live there, and it's just, it's like the second West Indies, basically, from all the different islands they grouped there. Um, and then we moved to Rosedale, Queens, which when we moved there, it was... There weren't a lot of actual kids in the neighborhood. I remember there were just a few, and it was, there was a lot of um, old and retired, like, Jewish and Italian families. We were one of, the, one of the first black families in that neighborhood. So, I mean, I interacted with other kids, but I didn't really spend a lot of time, social time, in the neighborhood. Like, if I wanted to party or anything, I was always like, let me just get myself into the city and hang out with my friends. I, I went to high school in the Bronx, so my friends we're from all over the city, and we tended to hang out and go to nightclubs and stuff in Manhattan. So it was, I would say, a little bit more liberal for me just because I was going to nightclubs and seeing all kinds of stuff, you know, from drag queens to, you know, punk rockers to goth kids to all that stuff. Uh, I'm an only child. My mom and dad, they met when they were 12 years old. They became boyfriend and girlfriend. They got married. They came to this country in 1967. And then I was born in 69. And they remained married until my father died like 10 years ago. So they were married over 40 years. My dad never really had the talk with me about sex. It was mostly my mom because she was a nurse and she was just, my mom was the one who really told me all about it. With the proper names and the proper, you know, she told me about the birds and the bees, all, how everything worked. You know, when you're a kid and you have like kid names for things like, oh, that's your bunky or your whatever. She would, we had the kid names for body parts, but she also taught me the proper adult names. And also part of it, I think, might have been because my father was kind of a nudist, like, he didn't like to wear much clothing or any at all when he was at home, so I was just always seeing him naked. He didn't even like to close the door when he sat on the toilet kind of thing. And if you were in there with the door closed, he would just walk right in, and I'd be like, Dad! He's like, this is my house, you know, kind of thing. He had no boundaries, so. Eventually, when I was a teenager, I had to put a lock on my bedroom door because, you know, as a teenager, you kind of need that. You know, as a little kid, I would take showers with them. So I would just see them naked, and it was, like, not a big thing for me. It was years later when I realized other people were, like, freaked out by, you saw your parents naked? I'm like, oh, well, yeah. It wasn't until later on when I was in school and kids started to make jokes about sex that I realized, oh, there's, like, this whole other component to what it all means, you know, like, 
I was also a TV kid, so watching things, ridiculous things like Three's Company, you know, which was all about like ridiculous sex jokes and, you know. Thank God I had my mother tell me like the basics, the real basics before I started watching TV. I think my dad was okay with that because I think he, he kind of felt a little uncomfortable <laughs> talking about that kind of stuff. So yeah, West Indian families and the gay thing, it, I didn't really bring it up too much. I feel kind of silly because I really didn't have that moment where I sat them down and came out to them. My father found out because he saw a picture of me kissing my then boyfriend who was from Amsterdam. When it happened, it was like so shocking. He said something like, are you a faggot? And I just sort of pushed him out of the room and shoved and shut the door. <laughs> and then later on, I was really angry that he used that word. And I went to him and I was like, listen, you are never to use that word in my presence ever again. I don't know if you know about West Indian culture, but like you're always the child, no matter how like I'm almost 50 now and I'm still like the child. So you're never supposed to talk to your parents and like, a, <laughs> you know, and I don't even remember what his response was because I think I just like turned around and left the room and like we just didn't talk about it after that. I mean, I think about it from his point of view. I mean, I've had a lot of time because he's been dead almost 10 years. I, from his point of view, he didn't really have um, exposure, access to anything gay or queer or, or anything like that. And so I feel really bad that I didn't really open up to him sooner. I could have had conversations with him that would have enlightened him a lot, you know, and we could have worked through a lot of stuff, but we never got that chance. My name is Alan. I'm 39, and I graduated high school in 1998. My family moved to where my mother's from, um, up in Idaho. I want to say it's the second or third most conservative state in the United States. Mm. My parents love it. My dad is very much a ditto head. If you know what a ditto head is, it's someone who follows Rush Limbaugh um, regularly, every single day. And growing up, because that was my norm, because that was where I was surround, what was surrounding me, I too listened to Rush Limbaugh. Um, and I was so proud when I got a job and I was like 13 or 14 years old. And I went and I bought a Rush Limbaugh Ditto Head tie. That was just so cool. <laughs> and looking back, I remember it was like this hideous combination of every color you could possibly imagine in some kind of like weird psychedelic design and either either Rush was on acid or the artist was on acid, I don't know, but I thought it was the coolest thing ever and now looking back and I was like, what was I thinking? Not just politically, but from a fashion standpoint, it was the widest, like, we're talking like five, six inches wide tie. It was just so hideous, but I thought it was the coolest thing. Probably because I was so desperate to fit into my dad's expectations and fit into what he wanted from me. And my grandmother describes my father as the self-aggrandized second coming of Jesus Christ. I think my dad's gay. And I think he escapes that by holding so tightly onto religion and holding so tightly to his Mormon belief system that it doesn't matter who he hurts in the process as long as he's still faithful. Because the whole Mormon belief system is that this life is just a temporary test and if you're good and you're whatever, you'll get your own fucking planet. 
completely bonkers, but it's what motivates everything he does. And I think he's deeply unhappy, but doesn't know how to deal with that. And so growing up in that environment, I absorbed a lot of his unhappiness, a lot of his discomfort. And my mom, being the good wife, just follows along. I'm the oldest of seven children, six younger sisters, um, and there was this huge responsibility placed on me as the older brother, but also kind of like tossed aside because I'm the boy and I can figure everything out. And so at a really, really young age, I kind of had to be super independent because my mom was dealing with babies, quite literally. So I had to get a job really early, I had to, um, uh, any kind of school trips or whatever, I had to come up with a means to pay for that. Um, I got no financial assistance from my parents for college, for anything like that. But on top of all of that, nothing was as good as being a good member of the church. And I haven't talked to my parents in almost three years now. I was in sixth grade and our school system, sixth grade, was in the middle school with the seventh and eighth graders. And I was a little bit of a late bloomer, so I hadn't quite started puberty in sixth grade. So I was a soprano in our choir and I was very good at it. <laughs> but one of the baritones in the choir was just a dirty pervert and would talk about all of these things and he kept talking about getting blowjobs, just like, I literally thought it was taking a machine down the sidewalk and like blowing the, sh the, the snow off the sidewalk. That's what I thought a blowjob was for the longest time. Mm -hmm. And then he would talk about condoms and other this, that, and the other. And it was the next year that I was supposed to have sex ed and I still hadn't really had it. And I was just like, I don't know what a condom is. I need to find out. And so I went to the little thrifties, which is kind of like Rite Aid or whatever, but thrifties always had an ice cream bar in it. I used to go by thrifties just to get an ice cream on my way home from school, but this time I was like, I have $2 and quarters. I'm gonna find a condom and I'm gonna buy it in a little vending machine. There were no vending machines in the bathroom and the box of condoms was way more than $2. And I was just so desperate to know what they were that I put it in my bag and I tried to walk out. Tried. I got caught and the guy pulled me into the back office and I immediately am like, I'm not gonna be able to go to church on Sunday because I'm gonna be in so much trouble. <laughs> and he calls my mom and my mom comes and picks me up and she's laughing as this guy is telling this story. And he's like, I just didn't even know what to do. He's like, well, you got your stuff back, everything's good. And he's like, yeah, it's fine. And he starts laughing. And I'm like, why are you laughing at me? This is so embarrassing. Like, I feel bad. I'm a bad person. And then she takes me and drops me off with my dad who's working. And she's like, you're gonna have a talk with your dad. He comes home and my mom and my sisters are all gone, sits me on the bed and has this talk. And I'm like, what? That is just crazy. You do what? He's like, well, a woman has this and a man has this and they combine. And I'm like, that's just gross. That's utterly disgusting. Meanwhile, I you know, already had my fair share of experiences by that point in time, um, but just with men. And my dad was very much the type of person that's like, you have to respect women. 
And because I had sisters, that was also another big conversation. Like, you have to respect women. It's super important. And so all of my respect context and, like, consent context was always around women. Never around men. Because we just didn't talk about it at all. But I just remembered looking at him and just laughing and by the end of the whole thing he's like if you ever needed to know what a condom is why didn't you just ask me and he opens his top drawer and like reaches back behind his socks and pulls out this whole giant big box of condoms and I was just like ew that means you and mom have sex and I was like of course because that's how we got here <laughs> My dad put so many rules on my interactions with girls. Like, I was never allowed to have a girlfriend over and in my room. If I ever had a girlfriend over, it had to be in the living room or it had to be in the front yard or backyard, but in some place open where everybody could see. But I never questioned anything when I had my boy friends over. And the door would be closed. And we'd be laughing and giggling or doing whatever. And so because there was that tacit permission in there, there was this part of me that thought, oh, well, I guess this is just a normal way that boys say hello. It was exploration. It was an extension of friendship and connection. And mind you, when you're really young, like it's a lot of awkward groping and mouth placement and like just, it's just weird. <laughs> But in that moment, like that pitter-patter of the heartbeat and the, that anticipation and anxiousness that happens when you're next to a boy that you might like or might think might like you back, that just wasn't part of that conversation that I had with my dad. And I liked that feeling. And I feel like that's something even as someone who's near 40, like I like to chase that feeling because it's, that's real to me. Whereas what my dad described was so ceremonial, for lack of a better word, so many boundaries on a sexual experience with a woman. But when it came to anything between guys, it was exploration. It was an extension of friendship and connection. My name is Nathan, I'm 29, and I graduated high school in 2009. I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, my parents immigrated here from Egypt and had me in Jersey City. We moved to the suburbs when I was like starting elementary school. Union County, uh, Fanwood is the name of the town. Even though we left Jersey City, we actually like split our time um, because my dad still had his business. Uh, he was like a small grocery bodega owner in Jersey City, which he kept throughout all his career. And so we worked there during the summers when we were out of school and our church was in Jersey City. And because we were so religious, like I spent all of my weekends in Jersey City, like Friday through Sunday. And so 
my childhood very much was split between weekdays and like Fanwood doing school and family stuff only. And then Jersey City was like church and our friends and all this other stuff. My parents did not have a talk with me. The closest thing I got to a talk that I can at least remember was one time, it was like so late. It was literally, I was home from college and it was winter break and I fell in the shower and broke my finger. And it was because like my, my, my sisters like didn't have that like slip and like grippy thing. And so I just like was soaping myself. I slipped on soap and my father immediately looked at me. He's like, it's cause you touched yourself. And I was like, whoa, no, like I didn't, I, I would admit it. Like I don't have an embarrassment of telling you like in a medical emergency, if I jerked off, no, I broke my finger cause I slipped. And he just like, to this day is like, he like thinks that I broke that finger cause I was jerking off and fell in the tub. And then another time my dad just like randomly in the backyard, like was doing gardening with me. And he was like, I have to talk to you about something. And I was like, what? He's like, I saw the lotion in your bedroom. And it, this isn't my bedroom. This is like the guest bedroom that, you know, everyone uses when I'm in college. And so there was just like a lotion bottle in it. And he's like, I know what you did with that lotion. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you touched yourself with the lotion. And I was like, oh, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't. He goes, you know, Nathan, if you jerk off and you, there are girls in this house. And I was like, what is that? What? He's like, if you jerk off in the wrong way and leave it on a towel or the toilet, you can get your sister pregnant. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? Are you serious? Like, are you fucking serious? Like, you really thought... And think that like, I could impregnate my sister by leaving semen on a towel. And you think like my sisters are like taking towels and like putting them in a coochie, like what? And he was like, yeah, so like, don't do it. And I was like, all right, dad, all right. And so those were my sex talks. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know if those are sex talks, but like, yeah, interesting. <laughs> When I came out, I had a very Middle Eastern experience of like literally my mom like tearing her clothes, like crying out to God to take this away in the middle of her living room. Like it was just like gnashing of teeth, like just like biblical, like, like in front of me. She was like, I asked you if you were gay in high school. And I was like, yeah, mom. And she was like, and you told me no. You told me you were just like watching porn and that's why you felt guilty in high school. And I was like, I lied. I thought telling you it was just porn and not gay porn specifically would be better. And it was because when I told you I'm not gay and it's just porn, you went, thank God, it's just porn. <laughs> so you're like, um, yeah, you, you, you taught me like that I should tell you about sex stuff and not gay stuff because the gay stuff is just like extremely worse. Then my dad like woke up and he was like, I talked to your mom, what happened? Um, are, are you trans? Like, does your penis work? And I'm like, what? Like, what are these questions? And he's like, well, like, you know, like if your penis doesn't work, like this would make more sense. Um, or, or like, if you are like, you don't think you're a man. I'm like, no, I think I'm a man. My penis works great. So my parents still have not 
come around. Um, my partner and I got engaged last year, um, and I avoided getting engaged in hopes that like I could get them to meet him before getting engaged. And finally, we decided like we're not going to wait for them. Um, we've been together, you know, five years, so we should just do this. Uh, and so it took me almost a year to publicly like say it. Like our friends and our community knew, and our chosen family. So this last February, I just like told everyone. And that's how my parents found out. My name is Zachary and I am 24 years old. I graduated high school in the spring of 2013. I am from Jackson, Michigan, about 70 miles west of Detroit. I remember one time I like had woken up at like 6 a.m. on a Saturday to like watch cartoons and was downstairs and I just kept hearing this creaking upstairs from my parents' bedroom and like had this concept being like that must be sex. I don't not I don't understand what it's entailing, but I know that's most likely like 90% sure that's what's happening. The creaking alone, yeah. And I was like, I wonder if they know I'm down here. <laughs> like I didn't think I did understand like I, I knew it's sex that just like two people come together, but like other than that, I didn't understand there was a bunch of thrusting involved and like insertiveness and you know, I fuck, didn't even know what anal was or even considered that an option. My parents never really had the talk or conversation about the birds and the bees, sex, you know, it was all really kind of hush hush Midwest repression. I think the first kind of like introduction to like puberty and like, you know, growing pubes and having like wet dreams kind of came from just like public school and having that talk, I think it was around fifth grade. And then I came home from that and I remember my mom asking if I had any questions that were like unresolved. And I was like, no, I think I pretty much understand what's about to happen to my body. And she followed up with, cause you know your father is not gonna wanna have that conversation with you. That would make him too awkward or uncomfortable or something like that. Um, and I was like, interesting, yeah. So the only time I ever came up with my dad was remember to wrap it. Yeah, that's the term you used. Um, and what's funny is it like it was definitely more in the connotation of me having sex with a girl, cause sex is for procreation, um, or that can be the the result of it. And it's like so obviously, I was not having sex with girls. <laughs> I came out in high school. Um, let's see, I was sixteen, so that would be eight years this fall. I came out by writing a letter to my mom. I had uh, been using Grindr. I'm that, <laughs> I'm that jail trap, sorry guys. Um, but I think a lot of guys actually do around the age of 16, 17 will get on Grindr just to have that experience. And I met a guy through Grindr who lived like 40 miles south of me. He's 17 or 18 and was like head over heels for him. And I'm like, holy fuck, I've never felt this way for another guy. Um, but I know I can have sex with a guy, but can I have this emotional connection with him? Um, and I did, and that was like, holy shit. Um, so once I realized that, like within a week, I wrote a letter to my mom um, being like, hey, I'm gay, uh, please don't tell dad. Um, I kind of want to do this like one at a time. And of course, so I drove to school by then. And so like both of my parents had left. And I knew that my mom would come home before my dad, so if I put the letter at her bedside first, I knew she would see it before he would. And so I came home, and 
my mom had gotten a letter and I was in my room. I remember waiting for her to come talk to me and I heard her like walk past my room, go down the steps, go to the basement and I'm like, fuck. She's going to talk to my dad about it. Um, and I remember like sitting there like freaking the fuck out, not knowing what exactly their response was gonna be towards me. Um, I knew they were accepting of gay people, but I didn't know what to expect of like their actual son being gay. Like, you know, did they ever predict that? Like, I know I'm a little flamboyant, a little feminine, and I have a lot more girlfriends and guy friends. Like, it shouldn't be that big of a shock, right? And so I remember my mom came back upstairs and she's like, so the letter, first thing I wanna say is don't you ever think you can put something between me and your father? I was like, damn, front, all right. Um, but my father did not come upstairs to have a conversation with me, um, which kind of also kind of hurt because she went down there and had the conversation with it, but he didn't, you know, couldn't come up and, you know, be that same force with her. Um, so that was kind of a little disheartening from him. Um, and then I remember, my mom's like, I don't have a problem with it. And she starts crying. She's like, but I wanted grandchildren. And like, I had a really good relationship with my parents. So like snapping back or saying something like sassy or anything like that was just like not the norm. But it was literally like a snap back and being like, um, you do know adoption is a thing. And also I could, if I have money to do it, I could do surrogacy too. She goes, yeah, but it's not the same. And I was like, okay. And then it was just like, it was kind of like, I guess, her mourning that expectation that she had for me. And also kind of just knowing other gay people growing up. Um, again, my parents were really open. And my mom had a really close friend in college who happened to pass away from um, AIDS. And that really impacted her. And I think that's what she was scared of. I think she was scared of the potential dangers being gay would put me in in this world. And yeah, she didn't want that. She just wanted love and happiness to be gay. And then she like left my room. It was really weird. And then I remember she left to go teach an aerobics class. And then before she left, she's like, hey, can you help your dad make dinner? My father and I stood in silence as I stirred boiling water pretty much for macaroni and cheese. And he just stood next to me doing like something else on the stove. And yeah, out of silence. It wasn't until the following spring. We were driving back from Michigan State um, after touring college, and um, we were talking about like my future and how excited he was for me. My dad was super happy for me about like the future I was having, getting good grades in school. They were super excited to see what I would make of my life. And so I asked the question, you know, you never talked to me about what I had told mom about me being gay um, last fall. We never had that conversation. I don't know what your thoughts are about it. So what are your thoughts about it? Probably one of the only times my dad kind of like slapped me with a little bit of like really interesting like human experience, like wisdom. And he was like, my job as a parent and as a father is to make sure you're a good person in society, that you do your job, you show up, you know, you're responsible, you give people respect. It doesn't matter who you go to bed with or you have sex with in the end of the day. And just like, I'm gonna turn my head out here and shed the one tear moment. And yeah, and so it's always been really chill. And actually what's really funny is my first pride experience was with my dad. 
when I moved to college in um, Eastern Washington, which was really awesome to share that kind of experience um, with him. And how supportive he was of it, you know, first time seeing a drag queen and the whole time him thinking, that's a man dropping into the splits. It was just like math equations just like out of his head. Thanks for listening to Fruit Bowl. Excerpts featured here are selected from each person's full-length episode from previous seasons of the podcast and have been re-edited in support of the episode's theme. Want to know more about this episode's featured interviewees? You can find links to each person's full-length interview in the show notes of this episode. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video extras that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com donate or write Dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate, and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find links to all our social media at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. That's me. This has been a production of Cubed Media. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.